Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. I'm just, I'm excited. If you are brand new, this is your first week to Reliance. We call ourselves a family, so by default, you're a part of the family, whether you like it or not today, all right? Then you can make a choice after that. Uh, but we, we are glad you're with us. Um, if you're a regular, it's always good to be um, with you guys. Man, I, I could not sleep last night. I was tossing and turning for two reasons. One, some neighbors were shooting fireworks off till one in the morning, all right? They should stop just calling it the 4th of July. It should just be July all month you can shoot fireworks off. But really the reason I was tossing and turning is because I was really excited about this message. I'm really excited. We have been in a series on Galatians, um, kind of walking verse by verse, kind of through the book of Galatians. We're on week four. We're only in Galatians chapter two, so it's going to be a long summer, all right? Um, but I'm excited about it. Today is one of my favorite um, verses. And, and I'll tell you this, I believe that today the verse that we're going to go through is, is really the key verse in unlocking the life of Jesus Christ in us. Now listen, that's a bold statement. But I'm saying that the verse that we're going to go through today is unlocking the life of Christ in us. Because in the verses that we're going to read today, I believe that there is so much power if we receive what God is trying to speak through those verses, that somebody in here today is going to walk out of self and walk into Jesus. Amen? But, everybody say but, it comes with a high cost, all right? So I'm just throwing that out there so you don't get blindsided today. I don't want anybody leaving mad like, you didn't warn us what the message was about. It comes with a high cost. And so we're going to go through that today. And uh, so here on week four, we're going to be talking about the surrendered life. Somebody say surrender. Out there and you're just mouthing. You're not even saying it because you're like, I will never surrender. Amen. I will never, I grew up in a home, I've, I've told you this a lot of times, I grew up with all brothers, and we had this motto in our life, our battle cry was never surrender, all right, never surrender, and then my wife, she did something crazy, she took the girls up to Omaha and left me and the boys at home all week long, all right, that's never good, I'm just saying, that's never good, and, and, and so she went up there, we're going to meet her up there, one of the boys had a baseball tournament, and the whole week we were wrestling and doing these things, and, and the way that we grew up was kind of rough and tumble, and so when, when I say that our battle cry was never surrender, I'm talking somebody, you could be wrestling, somebody could have you in an arm bar, and it's getting ready to break, right, and, and I'm sitting there telling my son, tap out, tap out, he's like, just break it, I'll not surrender, just break it. Does anybody resonate with that at all? All right, I'm glad we're not the only freakoids, all right? And so we're sitting there, man, and we've got this mantra of, of never surrender. It's just the way we kind of grew up. And so I love history, and, and I, I love um, reading about history and about wars and all those kind of things and how you've got these groups that never surrender. And so somebody had posted something on Winston Churchill the other day and his famous speech and you can see this never surrender mentality play out in Winston Churchill's famous speech in World War II. And they were being surrounded by the Germans and all this stuff. The French army had just weakened. The Belgian army had basically been just lost. It was gone. The allied fortified lines were breaking around them all over. And Winston Churchill gets up and he says this. 
We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the ground and the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe, the island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle. Does that just make you kind of like, yeah, like everybody's ready to charge? Anybody? Man, when you read this, I don't care who you are, in this moment, and I, I get the context because we're getting ready to celebrate the 4th of July and we beat them, right? So it's kind of, uh, right? But, so I, but I love the context of the speech, all right? And the context of the speech is that we will never surrender no matter what. And something in you when you hear that says yes, and there's a great quality in that. Yet, here's the problem. When it comes to the life of Christ, there's tension in that. You see, as Americans, we've developed that. We will never surrender the kingdom of America, whatever, whatever, right? And then on the other side, you've got Jesus' kingdom. He's going, you've got to surrender if you want life. And there's tension. I'll never give up and I'll never surrender. And over here, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You'll never know life if you don't surrender. A surrendered life is the only life. And so this is the tension that we're at today. The tension of going, God, man, I, I, I love the heart of that. Like we will fight on no matter what. And there's qualities in that that we need in the Christian life. But it starts with a surrendered life to him. Amen, church? You guys ready? Galatians chapter 2, let's go. Galatians 2, we're going to basically focus on verse 20. I'm going to read 19 through 21, but verse 20 is really what it's going to be all about. Basically, let me just kind of set this up real quickly. Paul has just wrapped up his confrontation to Peter. We talked about that last week where Peter for a moment, you know, Peter's been saved by the grace of God, believes in God, knows that faith is what saved him. It's not works. It's not because Peter's doing awesome in life. It's not because Peter's awesome. The reason that God has saved him is because of his grace. Amen? And so Peter's eating with these Gentile believers, right, that are not following the law. They're just saved by the grace of God. And then these Jewish leaders come in that are saved. They're, they're Christians, but they also believe you've got to follow the law. And so Peter's afraid that if they see him eating with these Gentile believers, that they're, that they're basically going to come against him. And so he wants to save face. Basically, he wants to save his reputation. He's afraid of what they might think. So he pushes back on those guys, and he starts to basically shun them, and he starts to go over with these Jewish leaders over here. So Paul, furious in nature, confronts him face to face and says, look, you're not walking the line. You remember that last week, right? Your convictions that you have about being saved by the grace of God is not lining up with your conduct. The behavior that you're doing right now, your conduct, is not lining up with the convictions of what you know about Jesus, that we are saved by grace through faith. So this kind of springs, springboards into one of the most difficult concepts that I believe you'll read in Scripture. One of the most difficult concepts that I believe that we wrestle with in Scripture, and that is that, and, and every person really has to come to grips with, and that is that we have to surrender our life to gain life. So let's go, Galatians 2. For through, the law, I for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified, somebody say crucified. 
I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen? So basically what he's saying is it's all about Jesus. There's nothing that I can do. There's no righteousness. There's no good behavior. There's no good morality that I can do that's somehow going to pull me even more so into the grace of God. The grace of God is freely given to all people. Amen? And so he's saying, you don't have to work for it, you just got to give your life for it, amen? There's a little tension here. This has been one of my favorite scriptures. I have life verses in my life. I've probably got three life verses. Galatians 2.20 is one of those life verses for me. But I'm just going to be completely open and honest with you. Galatians 2.20 is it for me, and yet every single day, I tell you, I struggle with this on a daily basis. Every single day day. This idea of a surrendered life wars against everything inside of Aaron Wallace. And that's the problem because Aaron Wallace shouldn't be inside of Aaron Wallace, right? It should be Jesus. But it wars because of what we're going to talk about today. And that surrendered life, really, I want to break down this Galatians 2.20 into two parts. And the first part is, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And we're going to stop there for a minute. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Why is that so difficult? Why, losing our, why is losing our life so difficult? And I, I wanna share something with you I think is, is typical. Typically, when somebody asks you if you're a Christian, and they say, you know, they're trying to see if you're a believer or not, usually if somebody's asking that question, they start off with something like, so have you been baptized? And usually people respond with, yeah, I was baptized when I was nine. You know, I, I, I vaguely remember, but I was baptized when I was nine. Do you read your Bible? Yeah, man, I've got like 10 of them, and I've got every translation. I particularly like the message because it speaks to my heart, right, kind of a thing. And then they say, okay, well, do you go to church? I do. I've got three churches because it's kind of potluck. I like, like different parts of each one, right? This is American Christianity. And so all of a sudden, you're, you're building something here. And so then they get to the part where they say, okay, cool, so tell me about your relationship with Christ. And the person goes, well, I just did. I just, I just told you about my relationship with Christ. You see what we do, church, is we've made Christianity not really about a relationship with Jesus, not really about pursuing his presence, not really about knowing him, not really at all about surrendering to him. We've just kind of made Christianity a list of things that we've done for him. And so we've based our Christianity not on a surrendered life, but on a list of what we've done for him. And I'm gonna tell you something here. The biggest lie that you can believe in your life, the biggest lie that the enemy wants to purport in your life, and let me tell you, the biggest lie that I think many Christians have been sucked into is simply this, that you can still keep and hang on to a portion of your life. And I'm gonna say this, as a church, and as the church global, we've even promoted that from time to time. Because the minute that you tell somebody, especially if you're new today, and we want to invite you into the family, that look, you've got to lose your life for Christ, that doesn't always sit well with people. And so what we do is sometimes in the church we've promoted this lie, and it's unintentionally most of the time, we've promoted this lie that, look, yes, Jesus wants your whole life, but you can hang on to 10%. You can hang on to a portion of it. I don't want to, look, I don't, I don't want to throw you into confusion all right now, all right? 
And so what we do is we're trying to navigate by letting people know, like, look, I get that God says surrender your life, but you don't have to do it all at once. Do you see what I'm talking about, church? Amen? Nobody's mad so far? Well, it doesn't matter. We're surrendered. Amen? So here's the thing. The biggest lies that we buy into that somehow we can still keep a part of our life. So there's this theme that you'll read throughout Scripture over and over and over. And the theme is this. If you want to keep your life, you have to lose your life. Over and over and over. And the reason is this. The reason that it's so difficult to balance that out is because from the time that we were born, somebody sits on the throne of your heart. And so at the very beginning, the person who sat on the throne of Adam and Eve's heart was God. And we all get that and we resonate with that. And then something happened at the fall. Something broke where the throne of your heart was now vacated by God because we sinned against the Lord and we put something else there. And so we bring up that slide for me real quickly. And who sits on the throne of our heart in that moment is self. And so 1 Corinthians 2.15 talks about the natural man. The man without the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what happens is this. We have taken God off of the throne. We've put self there. But notice how God still sets at our feet because everybody wants to have the connection to the Lord still. Everybody wants to have that safety net anytime that I need. God, something strong is coming against me here. Where are you at? Let me pick up my cross, right, and follow you. We want to keep the cross near us, but we love the throne of our life because the throne of our life says, then I can dictate all of my social activities. I can dictate my life. I can dictate what the world says about me. I can dictate my identity. I can dictate all of those things. You hear me, church? So we've transitioned from God sitting on the throne to self sitting on the throne. And let me tell you why I believe we struggle with that. The biggest thing that struggles against the surrendered life is self. Somebody say self. Say self. Now say it like you really believe it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Self, right? Self, self contends against the surrendered life. We battled what wages against us is this word self. And we can trace it back to Genesis. We can see the story of Adam and Eve and we can read it. And we can see why we are the way we are by looking at Adam and Eve. Listen to this real quickly, church. We've shared this a thousand times in here, but listen. So they eat the fruit. We know the story. They say, God says, don't eat of this tree. They eat it. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Right after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Now you've got to underline, why were their eyes opened all of a sudden? Were they blind? Like you've got to ask a question. And they realized, somebody say realized, they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. So for years, Adam and Eve, Adam was standing by a naked woman, didn't realize it, all right? Some of you guys are like, what? Whoa, whoa. (laughs) Girls, you've been standing, Eve standing by a naked guy, and she didn't even realize it. Why? Because their eyes, their spiritual eyes, were set on one thing, and that was God. Amen? There was nothing else that was taking away the desires of their heart but God. He was it for them. He was on the throne of their life. He dictated everything. And then something happened in that moment. It said their eyes were open. So you have to ask the question. Is he talking about their physical eyes? Were they walking around blinded? Did they not realize that they were naked? So all of a sudden you realize something spiritually came into their life and opened their eyes. And instead of being God aware, they became self-aware. Instead of being God-conscious, they became self-conscious. 
And so they glanced over at one another, noticed the nakedness of one another, and something happened in that moment. The man who had looked at Eve up until this point his entire life, and the woman who had looked at Adam up until this point in her top, and never noticed nakedness, never noticed anything about that, all of a sudden saw that nakedness, and it said they felt shame, and they went and hid, and they sewed fig leaves. Now look at this. So God comes looking for them. And he's calling out to them, and it says in verse 10, Adam answered, and he says, I heard you in the garden, Adam's talking to God, and he says, I was afraid, which he had never been afraid of God up until this point. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And look what God says to him, who told you that you were naked? You see, up until this point, Adam, you've never even known what nakedness is. You've never had self-awareness. You've never had a self-conscious. You've never had self-awareness in these things. You've only had me. You've only had presence. That's it. And so up until this moment, God is asking Adam, and of course God knows, but he says, who told you that you were naked? And something in that moment became so self-aware to Adam that he was all about what what was happening now in himself. It wasn't church that they had just disobeyed. Of course they disobeyed the command of God. It was that self-awareness had come and from self-awareness there was no return except through death. That was it. God says if you eat of this tree, you gotta die. And I contend with you this, that this was actually a precursor of what God knew he was gonna do through Jesus Christ. That yes, there was going to be a physical death, but for those who come into Jesus Christ, we can die to ourselves and come into life in him. Amen? Listen to why I think this is so important. This becomes our battleground then, the really beginning. Let me show you why. Because this is how Satan fell as well. This is why Satan fell. He looked to himself. Isaiah 14, 13 describes the fall of Satan. And God is talking to him. God is talking to Satan who was known as Lucifer, an angel, you know, bright lights, beautiful, all these things. He says, you said in your heart, God's talking to Satan, you said in your heart, Satan, I will ascend to the heavens. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. You see, Satan wanted to elevate his throne above the stars of God so that the glory would be his. And let me tell you, God will never, ever relinquish his glory, amen? Ever. And so he's sitting here going, you wanted to elevate self, Satan was self-aware, he wanted to elevate himself above God's throne. Look what he says in Ezekiel 28, 17. Your heart, Satan, became proud on account of your beauty. You saw yourself and your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. You thought a lot of yourself. So I threw you to the earth. Let me just say this, church. Look, if this is how Satan fell and how he was cast out of heaven, do you think, man, that the way that he's going to get back at God, the way he's going to try to get back at God and and, and bring misery on God is that he's going to say, now God's most prized possession, you and I, he's going, look, the way that I'm going to attack them now, the way that I'm going to come after them now is in the same way that I was cast out. I want them to become so self-aware that God is just something at their feet and not on the throne of their life. See, Satan's not stupid. He gets that most people in here are not going to be Satanists, right? 
He gets that. He, he's not trying to say, man, I want them to love me more than God. He understands that most people in here, most Christians aren't going to contend and say, look, I went from Christianity to become a Satanist. Most people aren't going to make that turn. So his thing is this. That's not even my end goal. My end goal is that you love yourself. And if you love yourself, that's just as good. And so he's not dangling drugs above you, and he's not dangling alcohol above you, and he's not dangling pornography above you, and he's not dangling success and money and worldly desires. He's not dangling those things above you in and of itself because he's trying to bring you down with those things. He's dangling anything that you'll grab hold of that you put over God to be self in your life. Any pleasure, anything that you put yourself above God, and that's his end goal. That's why some people struggle with this and people struggle. We all struggle with different things. Why? Because he's throwing out any carrot that he can to bring you to a place of self-awareness over God-awareness. This is why self is so difficult to contend with. It's idolatry at the highest level. Amen, church? And it's something that we contend with daily. David and Saul, if you think of David and Saul for just a minute, David was king, right, after God's heart, says so he was a man after God's heart, yet he committed adultery and he, he murdered and, I mean, he, he's got a rap sheet. <laughs> David's got a rap sheet. And then you got Paul, and really the only thing we, or Saul, the only thing really you hear about Saul, Saul is that he, he basically sacrificed and didn't obey the Lord when the Lord told him not to sacrifice yet. So you're like, man, David's got a rap sheet. Paul didn't listen one time, right, or Saul didn't listen one time. And so all of a sudden, you're looking at these two kings, King David and King Saul. Saul was stripped away from the kingship, and the kingship was put on David. Why? Because at the end of the day, the Bible says that David was in love with God, and Saul was in love with himself. Saul wanted the people, Paul, Saul wanted the people's pleasing. He, he wanted the people's approval. He wanted people to look to him. David says, man, I don't care about any of those things. I care about the Lord my God. So this is why Galatians 2.20 is the game changer. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I want to say this again. This is the game changer. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The Bible doesn't say you can say, I've kind of been crucified with Christ. I was halfway baptized, amen? I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Our Christianity hinges on this verse. Some of you guys are going, man, it's a little rough today, amen? Don't worry, we'll get to the fruits of the Spirit, all right? Love, joy, peace. We're going to get there. It's in chapter 5. Three months from now, we'll be there, so stick with us. <laughs> Seriously, though, man, we, we do. We love to hang on. Love, joy, peace. We love the goodness. We love those things, the grace, all those kinds of things. But look, we don't get to the fruits of the Spirit until we go through the crucified life. We don't get to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We don't get to enjoy those things until we live through the crucified, go through the crucified life and surrender our life. The difficulty then is simply this, church, real quickly. The difficulty comes down to the cross becomes our obstacle. The cross becomes our obstacle. Philippians 3.18, man, we've shared this a dozen times in here, and I love this verse, but it absolutely rips my heart out. For as I have often told you before and now tell you even with tears, listen to this, with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Somebody say, cross of Christ. Many live as enemies of the cross 
of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He says we're in, many are enemies of the cross of Christ because what they want is their glory and what fulfills them. Amen? Let me give you the context for a minute of why Paul called out Peter again right before we read this in Galatians. Because Peter was not walking the line with his convictions and what stirred Paul's heart and frustration was that Peter was allowing compromise to come into his life. The reality of what Peter was doing, Peter loved Jesus, we know that, man, he did great things for the kingdom, he was a pivotal guy in the kingdom of God, but the reality is in this moment, in this moment, when Peter said, I'm not going to eat with you guys anymore, he had the convictions, he knew it, he wasn't walking in line with his envisions, in this moment, Peter, really what it came down to was compromising the message of the cross. And instead of surrendering his life, he cared more about his reputation. Let me show you again why Peter's actions show that we can miss the mark, church. Before this, when Jesus was spending time with his disciples, he was walking with them in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 16 is walking with them and he's trying to explain to them, look, my path is Jerusalem. I've got to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem meant death and they knew it. And so they're like, what? Jerusalem? Like, God, we're good on the outskirts of town. We've got massive people following us. Look at these crowds, 5,000, 10,000 people. They're going wherever we go. We're somebody when we're with you. And Jesus says, look, my path is Jerusalem where I'm going to experience suffering. My path is Jerusalem where I'm going to experience ridicule. My path is Jerusalem where somebody is going to arrest me, crucify me, put me on the cross, but three days later, I'm gonna rise up again. And instead of Peter going, I love that path, that's a great path, Lord. It says right here in Matthew 16, Peter looked at Jesus and rebuked him, saying, no way, Lord. This must never happen to you. Now look, in this moment, was it Peter, was, was he really that concerned with Jesus? Probably was. Peter was a nobody though without Jesus. He was a fisherman, mending nets, casting them out, catching fish. In terms of the society of that culture, he was a nobody. Jesus made him somebody, Amen. So I contend with you that in this minute when he was like, that's not your path, Lord, because he knew that if Jesus was gone, who am I going to be now? And so Jesus turns, and I feel like the minute that Peter rebuked him, it says that Jesus turned to him and said, and I don't think it was like a nice, like, let me hold your shoulder turn, all right? Look what he says to him. He says, get behind me, Satan. Church, ask the question, why did he call him Satan? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Why did he say, get behind me, Satan? Let me contend with you for some reason, that, that I believe that when Satan was cast down because he wanted to put himself above God, what he was saying to Peter in that moment was, get behind me, self. You are more concerned with self than you're concerned with the things of my father. And I'm concerned with the things of my father. Peter's refusal to accept the way of the cross would eventually lead him to deny Jesus three times. Over and over and over, the cross becomes the point of no return for people, even though it's at the cross that we find life. And yet, let me say this to you, and, and, and with, with a heartfelt love, we are living in a day and age and in an hour when the message of the crucified life is the last thing that many professing Christians want to hear. Give me grace. Give me the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> Again, we will, okay? 
but not until we learn the surrendered life. Self-preservation wars within us. But look at the second part, and here's where the good news then comes in with that. There's two parts to that scripture. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives where? Where? The life I now live in the body, because I'm walking around. Aaron Wallace is still breathing. You're still breathing. We're walking around in the body. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we've gone from a surrendered life to a dependent life. Amen, church? Now I'm dependent upon him. Now it's kind of interesting to me that we're talking about this in light of the fact that we're getting ready to celebrate Independence Day. Amen? So on Independence Day on July 4th, you celebrate all of those people that laid their life down so that we can have freedom. But on July 1st, you celebrate your Dependence Day on Jesus Christ, amen? Because on July 1st, it's no longer about self-centeredness, it's about Christ-centeredness again. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives in us, and we have complete dependence on him. This is powerful. Let me share with you why I believe this is powerful. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says this. His divine power, the power of God, the power of Jesus, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us every great and precious promise so that through them, listen, you may participate. Somebody say participate. You may participate in the divine nature. That God is saying the divine nature of who he is is now dwelling within us and we get to participate in that divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let me break that down. Jesus releases divine activity in and through you. Come on now. This is it. I surrender my life. I live in dependence upon him. I'm no longer living, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the son of man who loved me and gave himself for me. So how cool is this in the Christian life? The life that I now live is resurrection power life. What raised Christ in resurrection power, what raised Lazarus in resurrection power, what healed the blind man, what healed the paralyzed man, what brought people out of depression, what brought people out of anxiety, that same power now resides within you and I, church, if we surrender our life. The life I now live is resurrection life. So then you read scripture, it says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus says that, we're overcomers. Now I get that. He says, greater things you will do. Now I resonate with that because he's inside of me. Let me show you a cool illustration of what this looks like. If you were to say that this glove was you and I right here, Okay? This glove represents you and I. We've emptied ourselves of self, all right? There's nothing in there. If I were to command this glove, glove, I want you to pick up this music stand. It has every ability to do that. It's got four fingers, it's got a thumb, right? If I were to say, glove, pick up this music stand. Is it working? Come on now, I need someone to tell me. It's not working. There's something missing. It's got every resource available to it, but it's not working, church. But something happens when a hand comes within that glove, and that glove now has a hand within it. I can do anything that I want to do with that hand inside of that glove. When that hand comes in the glove, the glove becomes as strong as the hand. Amen, church. Listen, everything possible to my hand becomes possible to that glove. The glove is simply to clothe the activity of the hand. Let me break this down to you today. You and I are the glove. Christ is the hand. Everything that is possible for Christ becomes possible for you and I. 
We now have emptied ourselves. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. By the way, the life that I do live, I live by faith in Jesus for he lives in me. Everything possible for Jesus has now become possible for me because I'm filled with the life of Christ. Amen, church. You see, I believe Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, I want you to hear this today. Some of us need to be this empty glove filling ourselves up with Jesus. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to do everything in our own strength. We're trying to do everything in our own perfection. We're trying to do everything that we can in our own ways. And God's saying, look, man, empty yourself of those and you can do so much more. You can do so much more. You can participate in the divine nature. In other words, something supernatural is living within you. And so I want you to hear this. When I reach the end of myself, you over here. When I reach the end of myself, you in the middle. When I reach the end of myself, you over here. When we reach the end of ourself, we reach the beginning of him. I do. I pray with everything in me that you'll go and you'll have your shindigs on July 4th. You'll throw your barbecues and you'll shoot your fireworks off and you'll have a celebration and you'll be safe, amen? You'll have a good time and we'll celebrate all the men and women who laid their life down so that we could know freedom on Independence Day. But on July 1st, 2018, I'm praying that today you would know this as your Dependence Day where you surrendered your life to the King of Kings. And when you surrendered your life to the King of Kings, what was once an empty shell was filled with the Spirit of God. And when the hand of God was in you, there was nothing impossible in your life. I want to pray over you today, church. I'm ready to see us make a change and a turn into this crucified life. Let's do it together. It's a struggle every day, but let's do it together. Let's pray. God, today we thank you that you've got a bigger plan than any plan that we could try to put together for our own life. And so today, God, I'm asking that we could live that surrendered life, that we could live that dependent life on Jesus Christ, that we could let go of self, God, and that we can say, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So today, God, we lay down everything else. We surrender ourselves to you. Today is our dependence day. Our dependence on Jesus Christ in all things, in all ways, in all thinking, in all conduct, in all actions. And so, Father, we give that to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.